Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. My name is Chris. Great to be with you again today. We are hosted by Renew. If you'd like to know more about Renew, head on over to renew.org. We have a national conference coming up that we're really excited about. We just invite you to grab some tickets, bring your friends, your uh, church family with you. We're excited about what's coming up in Indianapolis in April here in a little bit less than a month. Today's message is by Paul Hugabart. And it is out of a sermon series called Clay, and he talks about how we're being formed, how we're being shaped. So let's go ahead and just check this out together today. And we're asking this question throughout this series, what is shaping you? I heard somebody say a while back that we are all being shaped by something. And I want you to ponder that for a minute, just about yourself, and ask that question. Do you think that's true? about you, that you are being shaped by something. As I pondered that question myself, as I wondered, is something shaping me? This realization hit me that many things are shaping me in actuality. And I think as you ponder that question, you'll probably accept that for yourself as well, that there are many things that are shaping you. Are you with me? What I want to say, in fact, is that life is a constant process of being formed by experiences. The things we walk through in life shape us, form us from a very early age. The experiences that you had as a child, but yes, the experiences that you walk through today continue to shape you. And then the relationships that we form the relationships that you had with your your parents and your siblings, the quality of those relationships were formative in your life. The content that we consume, the society that surrounds us, the culture that pervades everything that we do shapes and forms us. I think we all accept this on some level, and I just want to illustrate this this way. We have expressions that express, that that very much state very clearly that we believe this to be true. Let me share a few of those with you. I heard somebody say something along these lines in the last several months. What happened that day really left a mark on her. And maybe you can think about an experience or something that happened where you know that's true. You saw that to be true. You saw something that happened that left a mark on someone. Or maybe you've heard it said this way, the imprint that experience left on me will be hard to erase. Maybe there's a moment that's coming to your mind right now where you think about something that happened and it was almost like it It pushed on your life, and it left an imprint upon you. Or maybe here's another way of expressing that. Those eight weeks of group therapy, and as a counselor, I've heard people say this, those eight weeks of group therapy were truly transformative. In other words, I was one thing before going into that experience, but it shaped me, it molded me. And by the time I finished those eight weeks, it was almost like I was something else entirely. Or we've heard people say this, he's a changed man. You've heard that expression, haven't you? said about someone, well, that person is really, truly changed. 
or this expression? What kind of impact do you think this week's events will have on the direction of our country's future? Many of us ask that as we walk through life and we see what's happening in this nation around us. But we think about it in terms of impact. And I want you to think another, another way we think about that impact is, is if there was a, a meteor in outer space that came, hopefully something like this doesn't happen, right? Every now and then in my news feed, I see NASA saying there's a, there's a, a meteor that's going to come pretty close to Earth. We're going to have a near-Earth experience with a meteor. But what would happen if a meteor broke through our atmosphere and hit the earth at an incredible speed, it would, by the impact, create a crater, even in this massive thing we call the earth. Or I've heard psychologists say things like this. Children are shaped by their experiences so that their initial worldviews are typically, here's another word, formed by age seven. Or, or maybe you've heard this next one. She hopes to mold him into husband material. Yeah, I figured that one would get a little bit of chuckle. The reality is we all understand this to some degree that things are shaping us, that our experience in this world, the lives we lead, the days we walk through, are all shaping us to some degree. They're molding us. We use words like shape, change, transform, mold, formative, impact, imprint, to reflect that we know this is true. You and I know this to be true. And many times throughout Scripture, we see this truth reflected as well. And that's what we're going to be looking at this month The idea that we are all clay and something is shaping us. And the question that we're going to be wrestling with this month is this. What is shaping you? We're going to look at a few passages in Scripture this morning that are going to illuminate this for us in some more depth. And as we do, let's pray just a minute that the Word of God would make its imprint upon us. As we go, let's pray. God, we know that you're seeking to shape and form us, and I pray that this month we would be able to look back and say that for weeks left its imprint upon me. God, you worked to shape and form me through this four-week experience. God, you made an impact in my life. So God, as we begin this series together, We ask that you would be at work in us, upon us, so God, you can work through us. This we ask in the name of Jesus and the church said, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Jeremiah 18. And this is where we're going to begin this morning as we look at one of the two texts that we're going to be focusing on as we dive into this idea of what it's like to be clay. And we ask the question, what what is shaping you? Before we jump into this text, I I want to just paint a quick background that both of the texts that we have this morning will have in common. There was a time in in the history of the the nation of Israel, Judah actually, where they were walking away from God. They had had some faithful kings who led them well. 
But as a nation, they were not being led well anymore and were in fact over and over and over again walking further away from God. There were things all around them, cultures outside of the nation of Israel that were leaving their imprint upon them. As they walked away to foreign gods, they were influenced by the things around them more than the hand of God forming them. And through several prophets, over a space of several hundred years, God speaks to his people, calling them back over and over again and is asking the question, will you let me shape you? Will you let me form you? Well, I know that's a stretch when we think about today's events, right? There's no parallel at all, is there? Between the kind of times we're living in and the kind of times they were living in, and of course I'm being facetious because when we look around, we realize that everything is shaping us and actually pulling us away from God. There's only one thing pulling us toward God, and that's God himself, it seems, these days. Everything is influence, has an influence upon us. So many things are working to pull us away from what God would want us to be. In that vein, the nation of Israel is a lot like, the nation of Israel of roughly seven or 800 BC is a lot like the United States today or many cultures in this world today. It's not just us. In so many places, the culture has more of an impact, leaves more of an imprint than God himself, the creator. And we don't want the culture to shape us more than the creator. So let's listen to the words of Jeremiah 18. Here's what Jeremiah says. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. Now, Jeremiah was able in his day to go to the potter's house. In our day, I'm not sure if we could find the potter's house, but what we can do is bring the potter's house here this morning. And so I want you to see what Jeremiah would have experienced this morning as he went down to the potter's house and watched as the potter worked. It's okay, you can splash on me. I have a feeling that Jeremiah probably got splattered on some. So God told Jeremiah, you go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. I want you to see this object lesson. As the potter works, I want you to see a deep truth about you and about everyone, Jeremiah, you come into contact with. Jeremiah says, so I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Jeremiah says there was a moment where as the potter was shaping, something didn't go right. And the pot became deformed. So the potter took that pot and formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Now Jeremiah sees what's happening and he's waiting to say, okay, God, what does this mean? What do you want me to learn from this? And so Jeremiah says, then the word of the Lord came to me. And here's what God said. Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. I, I just want you to picture 
that moment. And maybe you don't have to picture because you see it happening right here in front of you as the potter is at work forming a pot, a beautiful piece of art, which Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are God's handiwork, his piece of art, his poem, his pottery. God is at work. I want you to see another passage that really brings this out as well. And this is from Isaiah. And Isaiah is going to say very similar things to what Jeremiah says. I mean, very similar things. Speaking into a similar time frame and a very, very similar context. But Isaiah more deeply presses on the way that we're being formed, that his culture was being formed and shaped by everything around it but God. Again, culture was leaving more of an impact than the creator. And here's how Isaiah describes what he saw. He says, all of us, looking around at his people, he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts, the things we think are good and righteous, we're we're self-informed in our righteousness, Isaiah says, instead of being God-informed about what righteousness actually looks like. He says, so all of our righteous acts, supposed righteous acts, are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. He says, we think we're alive and vibrant, and that we know what it means to live life well. Again, no, no parallel in this culture, right? Because nobody talks about living their best life or anything like that. We think we know what life looks like, says Isaiah, but the truth is we're like a leaf that is shriveling up. He says, and like the wind sweeps us, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We're so caught up. We even talk about the winds of culture, don't we? caught up in the winds of culture. And he says, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And Isaiah says, here's the result of all of this. Looking around at his people, looking around at his day and his age, he says, no one calls on your name. Looking around at his godless culture, he says, no one, God, no one is calling on, our na- on your name. No one strives to lay hold of you. For God, it's as if you've hidden your face from us and you've given us over to our sins. Yet here is Isaiah's plea. As he looks around, as he sees the reality of what is, Here is what he pleads before God. Yes, God, I see the way things are. But God, behind the illusion, I see the truth, God, that you are still our Father. We are the clay. That's his plea. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. So I want you to linger on this last statement of Isaiah's for just a minute. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Again, we probably struggle to understand just a little bit about the idea of what what clay does and how it goes through this process of forming. And this imagery would have been something that would have been recognizable to people like Jeremiah and Isaiah and others in their day. And out of that, they would have pulled these very obvious to them parallels, but they may not be 
as obvious to us today. And so for just a minute, I just want to talk about how clay is formed. Okay, let's talk about how clay is formed, how this works, the process of the formation of the clay. Clay begins in this stage called plastic. It's very moldable in this stage. In fact, I've got this bag full of clay that Carol put together for me. And it's, it's I mean, when I squeeze this, this is almost like stress relieving, actually. I feel like they, maybe they make some things like this to relieve stress. So anybody stressed out, you can come up and squeeze this for just a little bit. I mean, this is, this is soft. I can feel how I could easily make something out. I mean, not, not, okay. I could feel how somebody who had any clue what they were doing could actually make something out of this. That's about as good as it's going to get for me, whatever that happens to be. But it's soft, it's moldable, it's squeezable, it's, it's formable. And then clay moves through another stage. Now, these next two stages can sometimes be put together, but, but can be broken apart as well. And sometimes this next stage is called soft leather hard. And, and as the potter is working in this stage... The pottery, the clay, is still quite wet. And in fact, what's really interesting is I I can take my thumb on this piece right here, and when I squeeze, I leave a thumbprint in this soft, leather-hard stage. When When I move it, I can still move it around without breaking it much. Whoops. Sorry, Carol. It's mine. Thank you. It's moldable still. It's carvable. If I wanted to take, if it's mine, I might as well carve in my initials into this clay. And you guys will all know that I didn't make it, but nobody else will know that. So it says pH. I mean, I can carve into this clay. I can form it. I can mold it. I can it's not really shape it so much anymore, but I can start to put some finishing touches to it. And as it moves into the next stage, that bit of it becomes a little harder. And so the touches that you're putting into it are now really fine tuning. In fact, sometimes this stage is referred to as hard cheese, which I think is gross. But that's what they call it. And the clay, although it cannot be shaped anymore, you can still leave an imprint upon it. You can still put your name in it. You can still put designs in it so that it now goes from one thing to something that's more decorative and more formed. It's got those fine tunings in it. And then in the next phase, this phase called greenware, the reality is if you were to take something that was greenware and had been sanded and tried to do anything in it anymore, you you would actually create a mess. This is now bone dry in a sense. And it's ready for the next phase. It's not moldable. You can't shape it into anything else whatsoever. All you would do is leave scratches and you would mar it. What you can do with this in this bone dry stage is make it less than bone dry by adding water to it. So you can take this all the way in this phase. And if you wanted to shape it into something else, like if you walked into that potter's house in Jeremiah's case, and saw this bone-dry piece, and 
Maybe it had fallen onto the ground and so it was marred that way. You could take water, put this in water, you could soak it again, and all of a sudden it would become moldable and pliable again. And you could eventually get it back to this plastic stage, but it would take water. It would take an incident. It would take some work. And then the final stage is this stage called bisque or fired. This is done. There's nothing that can be done with this anymore. You can't take it, shape it, form it, whatever. You can't put water back in this and turn it into something new. This is a finished piece. This is what you would expect maybe right before pottery is glazed, which there is another phase. You can glaze it and make it look real pretty and shiny like you sometimes see pots are done. But in this stage, there's nothing more that you can do to it other than adding maybe that final touch of glazing it. It can't be shaped. It can't be broken down. It's set as it is. As we think about those stages of clay and the understanding that Jeremiah or Isaiah or their contemporaries would have had, because they use pottery every day, we don't necessarily do that. I mean, we've got plastic plates and we've got, you know, corningware and all these different, I mean, that's what we have nowadays. And you can see how much I know about that thing, right? They would have known what we don't know, but what we are learning this morning is we see this happening right before us. So they would have understood the parallels, and in some way we understand parallels too because we know that clay is formed, and then we know that people are also formed as well. So I just want to draw a few parallels. As as people are formed, as we have this plastic stage with the clay, we have this very plastic stage in, in childhood where people are formed, where children are formed, and they are very malleable and pliable, and we can leave an imprint upon them with small actions. Everything they see forms them and shapes them into what they're going to become. And then this next phase, this soft, leather, hard stage, you know, we can call this young adulthood. And in young adulthood, yes, there, there is still shaping going on. But it doesn't happen as quickly as easily. And in adulthood, it certainly doesn't happen as quickly and easily as we move into this stiff, leather, hard phase. As we often become rigid, we sometimes say even about ourselves. And it takes a lot more to shape us and form us in young adulthood and adulthood than it does when we're children. We're not nearly as pliable, we would use that word. It takes a whole lot more. And the reality is, for some of us, what it takes is a moment of deep brokenness. For some of us, it takes, you know, using the imagery, the potter stepping in and putting water on what has been formed. And being shaped, the older we get, the harder it becomes. Sometimes the more difficult it is, the more painful it is, because other things have worked to shape and form us. And so even as God, the master potter, steps in to shape us and form us, Here's what I can tell you. It's not easy, but it's worth it. So I want to come back to this question. What what is shaping you? 
as you think about your life. Again, we made two acknowledgments this morning. We're, we're all being shaped by something. Every one of us. We're all being shaped by something. In fact, better said, many things are shaping you. I want to bring us back to Isaiah's words one more time as we're getting ready to land this morning. Isaiah's acknowledgement was out of all the things that are shaping us, here's the truth that I know Isaiah declares. 64 verse 8, you, Lord, are our father. Another word of saying, God, you're the creator. You're the one who made us. We owe our being to you, God. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And Isaiah says, with all the things that are forming you, here's where we need to be. At this place where we say, God, we are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. So what's, what's shaping you? I hope you'll be willing to wrestle with that question this month. Was it, what is it that is shaping me? And do I want more than anything to be the hand of the potter that shapes me? Now, you may be asking, and I hope that you are, how, how can I be most connected to the journey that we're going to walk through this month? How can I be most connected? How can I get most out of this experience? And certainly as we begin the new year, we look to try to connect with ways that we can bring you fully into the experience so that you can be, Carol, this is really nice. Sure. It's mine? Thank you. It's, it actually says thank you inside with a heart. That's, maybe that's the best part of it. We look to bring you into the experience so that you can be connected and so that God can truly shape you. So let me tell you about two ways that I believe you can be most connected to the journey that we will walk through this month. Here's the first. As you walk out of here today, you're going to see there are going to be a couple of baskets right as you walk out of the tunnel into the lobby, right there on the left-hand side. There's a little display over there. And Kate, our children's minister, has done an awesome job, tons of hard work into getting these ready for us. And what these are is little lumps of molding clay. Carol, what, what did you call those the other day? Scunchy, scunch, scunch. You don't remember? I don't remember either. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Whatever they are, they are little bits of modeling clay that you can take and you can take something and make something. Now, I want you to be purposeful in this. So what you take and make as you leave here, as you grab that, and please don't leave them stuck on the walls and places and stuff like that. As you take this with you, I want you to make something that will answer either one of these questions or both of these questions. And you may not know the answer to this early in this month. It may take a week or two weeks, or maybe you know right away what it is. You can answer one of these two questions or both of them with your lump of clay. The first question is this, what, what has been shaping you that you know you need to let go of if, if God is going to shape you? So if, if God is going to have his way in your life, what is it that you, need, you know you need to let go of so that he can shape you? And then the second question, what is something that represents what God is hoping to shape you into in the year ahead? What does that look like for you? 
And it may be a representation for you. You may mold something that's very personal. If not, we're asking that you would take that and that you would sort of bake it in your oven. It's 250 degrees, 15 minutes or so, and and they come out baked and hardened. We would love to have a collection of those things in that little display that builds and grows this month. Now, again, I want to acknowledge, if, you, if you've got something that's really personal to you that you may only share with a couple of people, still participate, but you can keep that thing at home. It can be yours. I'll show you mine real quick. I'm, I'm not an artist like Carol, um, but this is, this is a crown of thorns. And what this represents for me is what Jesus did on my behalf as king of the universe. He wore a crown of thorns. And in my life and what I do, I want to be more like that. No matter what my position, my station, or what I might imagine I could be or am or whatever, I just want to say, okay, God, not my will, but yours. If you're unfamiliar with who Renew.org is, I want to just take one second and tell you a little bit about who we are and what we're all about. We care a ton about the theology behind Jesus-style disciple-making and really creating that firm foundation for churches and organizations to build upon. We invite you to check us out at Renew.org where we have free resources, ebooks, podcasts, and also we have a national conference that we have every year. And we're gathering in Indianapolis this year on April 25th and 26th. We just invite you to grab some tickets, check us out online, and see what we're all about. 